I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 102. Psalm 102 very much being on the theme of trusting in God alone. Uh, We just sang these words, Thus shall they learn in God alone their hope securely stands, that they may ne'er forget his works, but practice his commands. Psalm 102, our theme this morning is stability in change, in the midst of changing times. Hear the word of God. A prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and is withered, and I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh, and I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me, Those who deride me use my name for a curse, for I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow, I wither like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is a time to favor her. The appointed time has come for your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord and the kings of the earth will fear your glory for the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for generations to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. That he looked down from his holy height, from heaven the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners and to set free those who are doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise when peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord, he has broken my strength in midcourse. He has shortened my days. Oh, my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. And you will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established 
before you. So ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, we bow before your presence, acknowledging that this word was inspired by your Holy Spirit for those who originally wrote it and heard it, but also all these many years since for our very ears and for our very hearts. May it be, O God, that you, by the Holy Spirit who inspired these words, would also waken us from spiritual death and sleep that we might hear your voice. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our only stability amidst all of the changes of life, what is that? The psalmist wants us to know in the very last verse that the children of God's servants shall dwell secure and their offspring shall be established before God. To be established before God in his presence forever and ever. That is the hope of the one who wrote this psalm, who at the moment of his writing was in distress and some form of sickness that caused him to think that he was nearing the end of his earthly pilgrimage. And uh, he cries out to God. And it's good for us to notice that this psalm uh, begins with this uh, title, which is unlike many of the titles given to the psalms are usually uh, instructions for the musician. But here, the title to this psalm is A Prayer of One Afflicted When He Is Faint and Pours Out His Complaint Before the Lord. The word for complaint there is meditation. doesn't have to have the connotation of complaining against God, but more of the idea of raising his thoughts to God and meditating upon his present circumstances in the light of God's eternity. It has often been observed that the one constant thing in life is change. We undergo changes in our personal lives, don't we? We go from being single to being married. That's a big change. There are people here who could testify to that. Uh, that we go sometimes from, uh, we go from being married to having children, and that also uh, changes things dramatically in terms of uh, what your daily life is like, having children. And then we go through the experience of watching these little ones grow. What a joy it is. What a joy it is to see not only our own children grow, but to see the children of the congregation uh, growing up. And uh, they, they grow too fast. And eventually, they leave the home. They go off to college. They go off and find their own careers. And they live out their own lives in the path that God has called them to live in. And so then parents experience that change of having a home full of young children to having a home with no noises, where it's quiet. And it's just you, mom and dad, having to learn to get to know each other again because you spent all your time communicating about your children and what is going on in their lives. That's a big change in itself. You sit across the table and you look at each other and you ask, well, who, who are we? 
Who are you? You know, we're so busy in the, in the midst of life that we, when we reach that time in life, uh, it's sometimes an adjustment. And then we experience not only our own getting older, but our parents are getting older. And uh, our parents, as they age, become susceptible to their mortality and uh, experience those things. And we have to help our parents go through those things and comfort them and be with them and help them in their older years. That is also the process of personal change. There are those changes that have to do also with relationships outside the family. You may have had someone who is a close friend of yours that you thought you would be bosom buddies with for the rest of your life. And uh, that person has gone on to do other things, and you're not in touch with them anymore. And that's a sadness, isn't it? We have friends with whom we are very close, and then they move away, or some change occurs, and that closeness can fade. There, there are not only gradual changes, but there are sudden changes. There are those times in our lives where the earth moves under our feet. The earth shakes under our feet, and we also are shaken in times of great crisis. When we're young, we change schools, don't we? Our parents may move, or even if we're living in the same town, we, we may experience uh, moving from one school to another. We go, every year we might have a new teacher that we have to learn how to relate to. Uh, when we're uh, going through those kinds of changes, the process of the education and getting, going to school, all of that is, is something that is, is in constant flux. We change jobs sometimes, and that is something that is greatly challenging. We look around us and we see society. What is the world today and how different it is from what it was just 15 years ago? How very different our own society is from what it was. Things that we would never have dreamed or imagined have taken place. Laws are changed. Norms are changed. Family life changes. Communication changes. It's all uh, communication now is a constant thing. And uh, it doesn't make us any more in relationship with each other, having this constant uh, communication, it sometimes impedes relationships and hinders them. Well, the psalmist is here considering his own days. And so we want to consider first, well, let me just give you the outline. First, the psalmist meditates on his days. Second, we want to see how he meditates upon Zion. Third, he meditates upon creation. And fourth, he, we're going to take a jump into the book of Hebrews. He meditates on the Lord Jesus Christ, though he may not have understood that at the time. But the first thing that we notice is what he has to say concerning his days. And that begins in verse 3. Notice verse 3, for my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. The idea here is of, of someone who is experiencing life as something that is quickly, like smoke, dissipating into the air. 
And uh, if you, we all enjoy sitting around a fire, and we all enjoy uh, those kinds of controlled fire uh, experiences, but one of the things about that is that smoke does that. It rises and it dissipates. On the one hand, he looks at the smoke and he says, that's kind of what my life is. The days go by and they seem to vanish on me. They're here, but then they're suddenly gone and I can't find them anymore. And then he says, but my bones burn like a furnace. And the idea there of burning is like of, of an intense heat that is consuming the coals that are lifting the smoke into the air. And so on the one hand, he looks at the smoke. On the other hand, he looks at the coals, and he sees that his, his health, this man is struggling with health issues, and he describes this in terms of his bones, his bones burning. He says, my heart. He just goes on to speak of his own heart, and he says it is like... Uh, it is like uh, grass that is withered. Some of us might have lawns that look like that right about now. I know mine does. That grass that was so nice and green in uh, the spring is now totally blighted, unless you have an irrigation system. Some of us will smile about that. Uh, unless your lawn is irrigated and fertilized, that is what tends to happen. But he uses that as a metaphor for his own heart condition. He says, uh, I, am, uh, I, my, my, I forget to, he said, my heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. He's experiencing something of uh, sickness and of losing weight. He's not eating, and his bones are clinging to his flesh. He feels lonely. Loneliness is a real thing for us. You can be in the middle of this group here this morning and feel lonely. You can be in a group of, uh, in, a, in a home where there are lots of people and you can feel lonely. Why? Well, you're isolated. There's a sense of isolation, and he experiences that. We experience these changes as enemies that deride him. He doesn't enjoy eating. He finds that he is crying and he eats his, his bread mingled with tears and his drink mingled with tears. He experiences all of this and he feels almost as though God's wrath is bearing down on him. He experiences something of the anger of the Lord, that his mortality and his sickness weighs upon him, and he feels the change that he is undergoing. Perhaps you know those feelings. You may get through your days and seem pretty normal to those that see you from the outside. But there are those moments when you sense that life's joys are so very fleeting, aren't they? It is a wonderful thing, life, to experience the joys of life. And you want them to continue, but they fly away. All of the promises, all of the promising stages of life that we look forward to, tend on the other side to carry also 
disappointments. Perhaps you've experienced something of serious illness or a diagnosis, and the ground under your feet may have moved. You feel your life shaken. You feel that you are undergoing, once again, a great change. In the face of such change, in the face of such decay, the psalmist remembers the Lord. Verse 12, But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. He remembers the Lord that God alone, God alone is the source of stability and changeless joy. He is the anchor of the psalmist's life. And notice that he's praying to God. He's meditating and he's bringing this to God. And that's what we also ought to do in our own culture. Um, We find that it's very possible to focus on ourselves in such a way that we, it's almost like a, a, a spiral And it goes on and on and on. And our thought life goes on and on. And what is it that gets us in so much trouble? Is that we are isolated in ourselves and we can't seem to break out of our thought patterns. How does the psalmist deal with with that experience of depression? How does he deal with it? He considers the nature of and the attributes of God. He turns his attention to the unchangeableness of God in the midst of all that is causing him to feel so down, so lonely, and so much concerned about his mortal state. He turns his attention to the Lord God. And that is also what we must do when we find ourselves trapped and the downward spiral of self-pity. Turning to the Lord alone is the way in which we break that cycle. And that is his method of doing this. Verse 27 beautifully summarizes the overall thought, but you are the same, and your years have no end. God is an unchangeable, he is unchangeable in his essence. He is incapable of the least alteration. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is eternally what he was and what he will be. He is today as he was before the universe was made, and he will be after the universe is remade with him. James says, there is no variableness, no shadow of turning. And this is the great comfort of the psalmist, that God does not change, though I do. God is everlasting. He is immutable and unchangeable in his essence, in in all his purposes. Consider next that the psalmist turns his attention not only to his own personal circumstances, but to Zion. He says in verse 13, but you will arise and have pity 
on Zion. It is a time to favor her. The appointed time has come. He considers the fact that God has a decreed and appointed in his eternal counsels a time of blessing for Zion. So as you think about how you wrestle with uh, your own thought life and feelings of discouragement and the changes that occur in your life, consider not only the fact that this psalmist looks to not only at himself and his personal circumstances, but he's thinking about Zion. The Lord, he says, will arise and have pity on Zion when God will in his appointed time bring blessing upon it. God's decree was appointed before the foundation of the world. And he longs for the time when the Lord's church on earth will be restored and renewed. You will arise and have pity on Zion. He sees a correlation between the condition of Zion and the stones that are scattered, and it is thought that the psalm was written after the exile and when the, at the time of the return from the exile. And you remember that as they came back and they saw the stones scattered in the temple lying in ruins. Notice what he says here. He says, uh, your servants, verse 14, your servants hold your, her stones dear and have, have pity on her dust. Your servants hold her stones dear. That phrase really caught my attention. The stones lying in the dust. The servants of God brought back from the exile, seeing the temple in ruins, hold those stones dear. He sees something there that reminds him of the changing fortunes of God's people. How once... Under David and Solomon, the kingdom prospered so, but as God brought judgments upon that nation, so they were now scattered and broken, these stones of the temple. Much like his own life felt, he feels a correlation in his thinking between the condition of the temple and his own life. These stones now scattered and broken are reminders of a glory that was past but also a reminder of God's promise of a bright future and glory for Zion. The Lord will build up Zion. He will once again come to Zion in glory. He will appear in glory. The psalmist says, verse 16, For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. God's promises towards, towards his people don't change, nor his covenant faithfulness. The psalmist foresees a time when a generation yet to come will be newly created and will praise the Lord. Notice this, that uh, he says that a generation yet to come will be newly created. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Verse 18. A people yet to be created. God is going to renew Zion. There are a people who will be created. And what is going to happen? What is going to happen? 
verses 20 through 22, we read that God looks down from the heavens and he hears the groans of prisoners and he sets free those doomed to die. Why? That they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise. When the peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. (coughs) So there is a time coming when all nations will be gathered and a people yet to be created, that the Lord is going to bring about a renewal of God's people. And they're going to gather in, in, in Jerusalem and sing his praises. When they gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. It reminds you of the scene in the book of Revelation, where you have nations of all kinds Peoples gathered about the throne of God, giving him praise and adoration. And the psalmist thinks of the future condition of Zion. And he prays that his own life would be spared so that he would be able to see it. Take not my, my, my he says in verse uh, 23, he has broken my strength in mid-course, he has shortened my days. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, You whose years endure throughout all the generations. He wants to participate in the future glory of Zion. But consider thirdly his meditation upon creation. If there is one thing that remains constant that God had ordained at the time of the Noahic covenant, that the seasons would continue throughout the, throughout the years, that God would bring it about that um, uh, year after year would unfold, and the sun and the moon and the stars. The psalmist now looks at the sun and the moon and the stars, and these things that do give us some sense of permanence of, of the, the flowing of time. What does he say about them? In verse 25, we read, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, but you will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. He foresees a time when this visible world that we know will be changed, when it will be dissolved, when, when it, like a garment that is worn out, it will be put away, and something new will be done with all of creation. The sun and the moon and the stars. I'm looking for a little water. My, my, um, yeah, Matthew's not here today. Um, Matthew usually puts water up here. But he says, uh, he, he says, He speaks of a time of future glory for all creation. He reminds you of Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 21, where we read, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the, of the glory of the children of God. The creation itself, now in its fallen condition, though it continues day in and season in and season out, yet this creation is going to be folded up and put away. 
It is going to be changed. And uh, the whole of creation longs for this being set free from the bondage to corruption that they might, that the creation itself would enter into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The Apostle Paul puts it that way. So you see then, it doesn't matter whether it's your personal life, whether it's the condition of Zion, or whether it's even all of creation. The psalmist compares each of these things to the eternal God. And our only hope and our only help, thank you, it can be to root and anchor our life in the eternal, unchanging God. And with that, I want us to turn to the last, and that is the psalmist's comparison of his own, uh, the futility of his life and his meditation on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to say, well, what do you mean? Well, this passage uh, is uh, verses 25 through 28, uh, 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 yeah, uh, to 27, I think, is quoted in the book of Hebrews. So I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 1. In Hebrews chapter 1, I'm going to go ahead and, and read this uh, chapter. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers to, by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. He, the Son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name that he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And so here you have this uh, grand and wonderful hymn to God the Son, God the Son incarnate, having come and made satisfaction for sin, now taken to the highest level of glory in heaven, where he sits at the right hand of God. And the psalmist and, and the writer of Hebrews is, it wants us to see Jesus in his glory. And then he says in verse 5, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son? Today I have begotten, to, begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels wing, winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. And therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Now in each of these so far in Hebrews chapter 1, he has been referring to and quoting from the Psalms. And you can look that up in your in your Bible notes and in the margins, where he's quoting those, those verses from. But then he comes to this, verse 10. And you, Lord, 
laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up like a garment that will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. To which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make the enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. What is happening here? We see clearly from Hebrews that Psalm 102 is a messianic psalm. And the author of Hebrews understands the words of Psalm 102 that he quotes as words spoken by the Father to the Son. It is the Son who, being the exact imprint of God's nature, is now declared to be the one whose years have no end. He was born in time of the Virgin Mary. At a particular point under Pontius Pilate, he was crucified on the cross to sanctify and to do away with our sins. And by his resurrection, he has overcome death and hell and Satan. And he sits at the Father's right hand in glory right now as God's anointed king, the king of glory. And he is both man and God. And the Lord, God the Father refers to him and speaks to him as you, O Lord. And so, let us go to him. Let us trust in him in our fluctuating circumstances and in our changing world. Let us go to him who is outside the gate, who sanctified us by his blood, and let us go to him who is out, uh, who, who outside the camp, bore the reproach that he endured. For, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, verses 13 and following, here we have no lasting city. We seek the city that is to come. The grand and marvelous news of the gospel is this. Through faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in him, repenting of our sins, trusting in Christ alone for salvation, you know what God does. He takes that which is mortal, which is dust and ashes, and which is doomed to die. Every single one of us, if Christ doesn't come before, will perish and be buried in the ground. But he unites us to his son. And so it is as though there is a latch holding us that even in death he doesn't let us go. And we will live with him forever. When he comes again and raises the dead, 
The Bible says that Jesus is coming again and that he's going to raise the dead. And the goal of all of history and the goal of your life, I pray, if you are in Christ today, is that united to Jesus Christ, you will follow him throughout all of the changes that are going on in your life and that you will hold on to him so tight that you will not let him go. Amid all of the temptations to do it, amid all of the skepticism about the things of religion and the, and the way in which the things that the Bible says is just poo-pooed and made fun of in the world, but that you will ignore that and hold fast to Jesus Christ because he has been raised from the dead and sits at the right hand of God the Father, he intends for you to be with him. Don't ever lose that anchor of your life. It will give you stability. It will be the thing that keeps you. It will never, Paul says, nothing can ever separate us from the love of God, from the love of Christ. He will never let you go. Even death itself won't separate you from him. What a glorious, glorious good news it is that the psalmist, in thinking about the changes of his own life, reflecting upon his own sickness and his mortality, considers the greatness of the body of Christ, of Zion, the church in history. What a privilege that you and I are here today singing the praises of God. What a great thing it is to be among the people of God and to love the fact that God is building Zion. And we get to be a part of that, to participate in it. I hope that thrills you and excites you. Because the psalmist doesn't see himself as merely as an individual by himself. He sees himself with in the midst of Zion. And in your earthly pilgrimage, see yourself that way. It is the visible church, the body of Christ. You want to be here. You want to be singing praises. You want to hear God's word. You want to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. Your soul depends upon it. Your soul depends upon it. God holds us steadfast in his, in his grip. Don't ever let go of Jesus Christ. Let him uh, teach you to number your days and to trust in him. Rejoice in him. He is the anchor of our souls. In the midst of constant change, there is one thing that does not change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you, in your eternal purpose, did foreordain whatsoever comes to pass. And though it is your purpose that we will live our lives out in the days that we live them and undergo many things that will sometimes shake us, sometimes hurt us, sometimes bring pain and difficulty. Yet, Lord, we give thanks to you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the anchor of our souls. Enable us, Lord, to hold fast to him, we pray in Jesus' name.